Hello, and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I am your host, Leah Pilkonis. I have three special guests on the show with me today. They work for the AGC member firms that have been named the most innovative companies in the construction industry. The companies are Chrisman Constructors, Sunt Construction, and Pepper Construction. These firms have demonstrated outstanding ingenuity to overcome industry challenges and deliver solutions and top-notch results. And as a result, they are the 2020 winners of the AGC Construction Innovation Award sponsored by Autodesk. The AGC Innovation Award showcases free thinkers within the construction industry. I'm confident that you're going to be inspired by the stories you're about to hear. Please stay tuned because you'll also learn how you can apply to AGC's awards programs and get the recognition you deserve, and how you can get involved in the association's project innovation and delivery forum. Let's get started. First, a huge thank you to our guests, Anne, Eric, and Susan, for being here with me today. I'd like to begin by asking each of you to share a little bit about who you are and who you work for. Anne, let's get started with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to join you today. My name is Anne Brown. I'm the Director of Marketing and Business Development for the Self-Perform Business Unit of the Chrisman Company, regions Chrisman serves, in the, including the D.C. metro area, Tennessee, North Carolina, Texas, and the Midwest, where I'm stationed in Michigan. Eric, your turn. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm super excited to be able to share about the innovation at Sunt and uh, to be able to kind of explore what innovation looks like in the industry. My role at Sunt at the moment is focusing on our frontline construction technologies group. And the, the big premise there is that there are new tools and technologies available that impact the way we build America, right? The way we build structures, the way we build infrastructure. It takes a certain individual to be able to take a old school construction technique and a new piece of technology and mash those things together well. And I have the joy to play with both sides of that spectrum every single day and make sure that our job sites are engaged with the latest and greatest. Sunt at large performs, self-performs concrete, transportation, and industrial projects as well in the mostly the Southwest region of the United States. Susan, how about you? Thank you. I'm Susan Heinking. I'm with Pepper Construction. We are a Midwest-based firm headquartered out of Chicago. We build multiple market types um, all over the country, and we also do self-perform. My role at Pepper Construction is that I lead our high-performance and sustainable construction teams um, out of all of our offices. What that actually means is that we focus on building performance and human health uh, in the built environment. You all understand and have experienced firsthand the benefits of driving innovation at your companies. I'm really interested to hear from each one of you and sharing from your point of view, what is innovation in construction projects and how important is it for contractors to be innovative? I think everybody's going to have a different definition of that, which is what makes construction a wonderful industry to work in. There's a home for a diverse uh, set of skills sets and roles. Clearly, my role is not in the field. I've served in the field from time to time, having a family business in construction. So it's been part of my blood my whole life. Innovation is, uh, for construction specifically, is understanding and really respecting the old term. The definition of insanity is doing something the same way and expecting a different result. And so we need to innovate in the construction industry if we want to solve problems 
We can't keep doing things the same way and expecting those problems to solve themselves. The three innovations that uh, are featured on today's call, uh, Susan's Net Zero trailer, uh, Eric and Sun's Slab Former, and then Chrisman Constructor software application, prove that there's a diverse uh, array of opportunity to solve problems and improve the industry while maintaining uh, the tradition, the building tradition that has been handed to us from uh, past generations. If we can blend what works and what doesn't, or fix what doesn't with innovation, I think we'll be able to advance our industry for the better for a generation that comes after us, make it easier for them. And, and you also serve on AGC's Project Innovation and Delivery Forum, correct? Yes, I do, Leah. Thank you for bringing that up. My family business was part of AGC Michigan uh, probably 40 years ago. It's an honor to me to serve the AGC at a national level. And the Project Innovation and Delivery Forum supports not just uh, the promotion of this innovation award, but encourages and celebrates innovation in the industry, which is vitally important. If we... Uh, as a whole, as AGC members, make our industry look like leaders in innovation, will attract younger people, and will be able to carry on uh, construction as a viable and exciting place for young people to work. Absolutely. Eric, what does innovation and construction mean to you? Innovation and construction to me means really looking at how the built environment exists today and what it needs to be doing in the future. There's never a moment where part of the human experience um, is is being okay with what's there today, right? We always have this desire to push our society and our cultures and our economies further. And sometimes that means faster shipping. Sometimes that means better, better research facilities. And sometimes that means safer housing. Every single one of those things comes back to construction at some point. And what you're seeing is this vast improvement in the structures and performance. And at the same time, we're trying to use traditional construction means and methods to solve for those things. And a lot of the innovation that we're seeing in construction is looking at new design and engineering challenges and figuring out how to deliver that through the built environment. And as those things become more and more complex, what we're seeing is product projects become less predictable. Schedules take longer. Things become more expensive. And those things make construction something that people aren't interested in doing. And, and for me, the root of this is making sure that somebody can have an idea. Somebody can have a dream of developing a medical research facility. They can have the idea of building a new research institution or a new way to produce microchips. And they can come to a construction company and have a reliable and predictable product that is a safe experience from the first day through the last day. So innovation addresses all of those things. It's looking at the new things as well as the old things and figuring out how you better solve for those marketplace challenges. And I think without innovation, the construction industry will fade away in the sense that people won't look to the construction industry for solving the challenges of the built environment. I think other industries will be happy to step into that spot. An old saying that, that I, I constantly bring up is that if the railroad industries knew that they were in the transportation industry, we would be flying Union Pacific Airlines, right? And this idea that as construction companies, what are we providing to our clients? And I think it's the experience of the built environment. And a lot of the means and methods of construction are up to us to innovate and solve for. And that's, that's where we step into that and look for new things to be able to provide that built environment value. Make it sound very exciting. Susan, <laughs> Susan, do you agree with everything that's been said? What else would you I, like to add? I do. Um, where I kind of come through 
uh, with construction is innovation is just improving on what's already there. Construction does evolve, but it's slow, slow to change. We all know that with this moment in time, like with the pandemic, we're going to see a lot more drivers for construction to change at a quicker pace. For innovation, like we could look at it as process. You know, it's just taking a different perspective to solve a problem that's there, take a little bit different of a pivot um, to solve that problem. Um, McKinsey and Company just put out an article back in May, and it's all around how construction um, can emerge stronger post-COVID-19, which I thought was really interesting. One of the actions for success for contractors is, in fact, innovation. But it's not like, yep, just do innovation, right? It's not like a general statement. It's how quickly can contractors innovate? We're not used to that quick timetable. We're not used to being able to kind of flip a 180 to solve a problem. We like to take our time. We like to have a plan. What this article was talking about is what are you innovating? How quickly can you adapt to that innovation? But also how well are you innovating with others? The three of us kind of have our own little, you know, innovation uh, projects that, you know, the AGC recognized. Like we were kind of like in our own little bubble. I think the next phase of innovation is how well do we innovate together, the three of us, on to solve a problem. Like so contractors coming to the table together, not just creating something on their own. We're also going to have to look at collaboration with our trade partners, with the supply chain, just with the manufacturers in general. And then what is that communication tool? Like what's that innovative communication tool to kind of format that communication? And I think that's going to be your digital model or your BIM model to do that. It's saying a lot because our industry is old, right? Like we've been, construction's been around since the beginning of time, but we're going to have to like take that knowledge and that experience, and then we're gonna have to marry it with that new perspective on innovation or technology or creativity. This whole pandemic's kind of forcing our hand that way. Yeah, future is is exciting. And I think people are gonna be amazed by what you all are about to share with what you've done. Let's jump right into that. You've each figured out innovative ways to work smarter so that you can build better. And I wanna talk specifically about your award-winning technologies. And I'd like to start with you again. Uh, Chrisman Constructors developed a tool called Copperworks, which is an iOS-based, or I think that just is like a mobile-based application that brings job placement logistics into the 21st century. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is, Copperworks, and how it's being used at your company right now? Copperworks was, uh, and I think all great innovations that become ultimately really successful are born from people that actually have the problem. There are web developers out there, lots of them that are very talented or software application developers. But if you're not a general superintendent with 300 to 1,000 field employees trying to place them on 100 different jobs across multiple states every morning, your developer skills are there, but your understanding of what the problem is to solve isn't. Clearly, Christman Constructors is, we've, we've been told this, People have reminded us that of this. You're not a software company. We are most definitely not. We're a 125-year-old construction company, but we had a problem to solve. And there was a conversation had uh, about two years ago in our, at the time, general superintendent. He's now the, our director of field operations, Nick Rowley. Uh, and our president uh, sat in his office at the end of what was probably a 10-hour day for Nick, managing safety, quality, projects, 
And then after working for about 10 hours, he started making his phone calls to staff the projects for the next day with requests that he had gotten throughout that day. I need a laborer here. I need two guys here. We need three people over here. Where are my carpenters? All of those um, shifts and moves were getting resolved after he had worked a full day. And my boss's first concern was for his quality of life. He likes to make Christmas a great place to work. That's part of our moral code is how are we making it a great place to work? And certainly him not being able to go home to his beautiful wife and five children was preventing that from being a great place to work. The other part was that we were clearly defining insanity by doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Right behind Nick in his office, there was a giant whiteboard with our projects handwritten on the whiteboard and stickers and magnets where we would shift guys in the end of the day. And the Bible uh, in that whiteboard being the place where we knew where everybody was remained static in one man's office. So he was tied to his desk, tied to his phone and preparing to make two hours of phone calls that night to get three or four guys, maybe 10 to projects the next day. So my boss said, this should be on a big digital touch screen in your office where you're moving people and on an application where that screen is live and it goes to your phone and your iPad and you can just drag and drop and the person gets a text message, you're going here tomorrow and there's a weather issue. That was the conversation. The difference is, and we'll get into this later on how companies can encourage innovation, is that we then turned that conversation into a real thing. Took two years of significant investment in time and and energy to be able to uh, land on Copperworks, which is really at its core, a human resource leveling tool that we are able to take with us anywhere we go to manage the staff on our project. The other magnificent thing about Copperworks is that all of our employees are in the system where they live. So when we get a new job, we can tap a button and all of our active employees, whether they're available or not, and there's color coding to tell us that, show up in order of who lives closest to the project. And we can do that with the tap of a finger, which is what we've learned so far because patent pending is unique to the industry. So we're very excited about it and we use it daily. You're using Copperworks then throughout all of your locations on all of your projects. Like it's integrated throughout every facet of your organization right now. Yes, ma'am. And it's currently in development to go from being what was called a single tenant application, meaning that mm-hmm. Christian constructors needed an application. We invented an application. And then a lot of folks looked at it and said, this is incredible. This needs to be sold. This needs to be brought to the market. And so um, we're in the process of doing that right now. And uh, it's in development uh, to become a multi-tenant application, which should be done soon. All of our general superintendents and two of our regions, our largest regions, utilize Copperworks to staff projects. It's also used as a marketing tool. Because of the labor shortage, we're asked on a regular basis, can you staff this project? Do you have the people for this project? And it's pretty incredible when you have a customer in front of you that's highly concerned about the labor shortage and you just click a button and say, well, we have 900 people within 30 miles and 2,000 people within 60 miles. And within 10 miles, we have 300 people. And we think your staff's going to be about 70. So I think we should be all set. Just click. It's pretty magical. What took countless phone calls and hours and paperwork and 
moving people around on a whiteboard now you're saying is software application, like we all think of apps, mm -hmm. click of a button on my screen, on my mobile screen, I can identify available skilled trade professionals within a specific project area and yes. just with a tap of a finger. Yep. And there's a little slide rule along the bottom where you can drag out the distance from the project as you see fit. We always try to start by bringing staff to a project that um, are as close to it as possible. Uh, this is economically and environmentally sound. So it's a benefit to the environment clearly to, to try to keep people from driving as much as possible, reducing our carbon footprint, right? Yes. So you're locating <laughs> as many people as you can as close to the project site. And that's the point that you made about, you know, that trying to have less fatigue for uh, people who are working hard all day on the projects. Didn't you mention it, that it filters the search by trade? Oh, I was going to say, we're just adding, we continue to add filters. So we will be able to filter by training and certifications, which is really important if people need to be, um, have post-tensioning certifications, PTI certifications for a parking deck that's uh, PT. We'll be able to filter that. You can uh, add safety uh, filters. We continue to develop the application to solve problems that we have because why not? You know, we had the baby, we might as well nurture it. So, and continue to, to grow that product, uh, evolved to add a lot of filters to continue to zero in on a search for the perfect person for the role. As you work with more trade professionals, you're inputting this data, correct? I'm just curious how you're getting all of this information into the system on the back end. There was an initial data dump uh, and our software system goes back about 20 some years. There is uh, a significant roster of past employees, current employees, and people that applied and went through our screening process, safety quiz, uh, background checks, um, that kind of thing that may not have uh, you know, they were interested in a role, but we didn't have one for them. So I think that we have uh, nearly 4,000 people in the app, and that was all entered uh, in an initial transfer from our uh, construction software application. And now we're uh, entering them as they're hired. The idea would be that it could connect to a company's construction software application from the human resources or payroll side and, and do it that way. You also have to put your projects in. So your potential projects that you're pursuing and your existing projects so that they can appear and then you can match your people to the project as well. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Wow. Such a time saver. Uh, and then once you've identified people, it how, how does it reach out to those people through the system? So that's the magic of um, uh, Copperworks is that then you can send a SMS text message. So it connects the geography tools, uh, the coding for geography, uh, for SMS texts, um, and so on. So we can then click and send a text message to that person or to multiple people if we've identified that we'd like to inc invite 10 people or 20 people or 100 people or more to join a project. It can be done with one click and a text message that we just, whatever message we'd like to deliver to them. Definitely saving time and saving money, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Anne. I want to give Eric um, a little bit of time to talk about Sun Construction's creation. Let's turn a little bit now to Slabformer. Slabformer is a technology which Sun has created to 
automate the means and methods to prefabricate concrete edge forms around slabs. Eric, can you tell me a little bit about uh, this technology? Yeah, slab former really focuses on a on a, a task that's required for every slab of concrete that's placed in a building. Um, and and traditionally, an individual would go along and lay out um, typically something like plywood or particle board along the edge of the slab, and that holds the concrete shape before it cures. And traditionally, that was very boxy. Normally, there wasn't a lot happening there. But as as buildings have become more complicated, um, and mentioned post-tension cables, those are now running through the slab. You have spots where there's um, embeds where you can weld on either parts of the exterior skin of the building or stairwells or things of that nature. Um, and it's just become generally more complicated. What ends up happening is somebody says, hey, I'm going to go put some chalk lines on a deck. And then they ask somebody who's never seen this concept before, say, hey, they go put a support every two feet and then lay this out. And what ends up happening is you have about six people working on this thing. And kind of the, the metric that we looked at was this idea that in, a, in one labor hour, we could finish about eight feet of this slab edge. So for every hour that a person was out there, they could do eight feet of this. And we knew that there had to be a faster way to do that, right? This was something that um, was just something that looked like it could use a little bit of refreshing. So we we actually ended up hiring a mathematician who has developed a, this, what we're calling slab former. And it now takes a look at the 3D model and solves for all the means and methods, kind of that last mile of decision about where to drill a post-tension anchor hole, about where supports should go, about how long each individual piece should be, and what happens when there's an embed. And all of these things that are usually decided the day of in the field are now directly tied to a 3D model that our concrete group has been building for all of our projects for years. So we now have a tool that we can run on something and it happens in about 60 seconds and it uses data that and, and technology that was already there and in existence. And it produces a whole bunch of files that some of them go to people and it's a PDF and it shows exactly how to lay out all these unique parts and pieces. And the other portions of the data set go directly to what's called a CNC machine. And it's effectively a table that has a, a drill bit on top of it, and then it moves the wood around, um, and a computer controls where it's drilling and the kind of marks that it's making. And ultimately, both of those things arrive at the job site, and it's almost like an Ikea, shrink-wrapped IKEA package. The pieces fit together perfectly. You have all the components that you need, and it's matching numbers together to assemble these things. Um, and so the big deal is at the end of the day, we're seeing a drastic increase in our production rate above eight feet per labor hour. And we're seeing minimal cost um, due to the fact that a lot of the this idea and these concepts have been automated and machines are taking care of it. And then we're also seeing an increase in, in productivity as well as quality um, because it's all from this agreed upon coordinated model. And then we're also seeing a little bit of an increase in safety as our crews are using less power tools on site to accomplish the same things due to some nailless connections that we have instead of where they used to be driving nails for several hours a day. How many of your projects are you using this on? Uh, so right now we've got two in Arizona that we're using it on. The sweet spot for this technology is um, anything that's more than three levels and a cast in place concrete frame. Um, we've got our, our manufacturing partner that is here in town and we are able to manufacture from a facility in, in Chandler, Arizona and kind of ship it uh, nationwide. Normally, if you would be doing this on the job site, it would take 
many, many hours and you would be nailing all of these pieces together and you'll be measuring it all out on site, cutting pieces out, doing all the drilling. So you're doing this all before you even get to the job site. You're saying that it arrives like a shrink-wrapped pallet. You don't need to nail anything together. And how, how many labor hours are you saving? The traditional production rate uh, that we've used in estimates and things was about eight feet per labor hour. And we've seen significantly north of, of 25. And it kind of depends on some different project conditions around how many post-tension anchor holes um, are in the deck and some other things about the design. Uh, but in general, we're seeing more than a 3x improvement, um, which is significant, especially in a time where there is a labor shortage in our industry. We're trying to encourage social distancing practices. Um, and at the same time, um, if we have somebody who's who's you know on the job for their first day with this system, they, they can do something that, that feels similar and familiar, right? Versus something where you're having to spend a lot of time looking at construction drawings and shop drawings, trying to figure all these things out, which are kind of the normal tricks. Kind of circling back to that concept too, uh, one, one phrase that I love is this, this idea that we are taking something that used to be a recipe and we're now changing it into a formula. Right. And it's this idea that as we have technology and tools that can help us standardize, we're going from the recipe of, you know, at a spoonful of this and a cup of this to a formula that's literally add this specific ingredient at this moment, cook at this temperature. Right. So it's it's a much more detailed product on the back end, but the end user experience is much more streamlined. Right. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of this value is coming from as well. You're talking about predictability kind of through the automation process, but do you think it's cutting out opportunity for errors? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the big deal is you um, you have this idea of this building information model where every party that's invested in this has looked at it and reviewed it and potentially approved it. Right. And so internally, we have some processes where our concrete group creates these 3D models. They have all the, the concrete that they're going to be using. They have post tension anchors in them. They have embeds. And that's the one su supposed to be the single source of truth for this project. Anything related to concrete lives in this one view and you can look at it and everybody can be like, like, that's exactly what we need to go build. And the, the technology removes any human interaction between that data set and what arrives on site in the field. And so you're removing a lot of communication of handing somebody a piece of paper and saying, go grab that pile of lumber and make it look like this. We're now saying, go take those things and assemble them. It's treated like it's a final product. And what's what's been some of the more difficult um cultural aspects is people are so used to on job sites grabbing a pile of material and cutting things and machining them and doing whatever to get them to fall into place right and it's all these custom solutions and and we're now asking people okay don't don't cut this piece in half this is the only piece that's like this and it's also the only one that will solve for this part of the equation right um, and so it's really taken a lot of messaging and communication on our part to say don't put nails through this don't cut it like it is a final product. And the other thing that, that's pretty neat about this too, and, and I think part of this innovation is, is I've mentioned 
mentioned, we, we hired a mathematician to help us out with this. And he, he's actually been able to stitch together through some algorithms and some mathematical tools. What we produce is actually what's called a best fit. It is the most efficient system. We have a cost model that actually runs. And so to place a support block costs X dollars. And we've got that in the algorithm. And to cut a you know one long piece versus two short pieces has a cost to it. And so we can tell somebody kind of the installation cost as well as the material cost every time we run the tool, which can happen as early as, as pre-construction. So it's a great way to say, this was the design intent. These are going to be our means and methods. The machines will bring about that material to its perfect state, and then somebody will install it. And so you have that predictability and consistency from day one in pre-construction through the day that the, the slab is in place and standing in its own right. Wow. Very interesting. Fascinating. Eric, where where do you think this innovation is? Where do you think Slab Former is going to take your company or just the industry as a whole? If you're looking into the future over the next five years or 10 years, what what is your hope for this? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And, and I don't know that I can predict the future, right? I think um, <laughs> I don't know that anybody can do that. And if they claim to, I think there's a, a reason to be skeptical. But I think a lot of this technology and, and the big message internally that we've been we've been pushing is this idea you go directly from a coordinated model to machine to the final material. And there's a lot of other scopes that we touch in the industrial space, in the transportation space. Like you think about a bridge and every bridge is unique. And as a result of that, every single piece of formwork on a bridge or a retaining wall is unique. And so we can take these same algorithms that are based on how much cost it is for material and labor and all of those things and apply that same mathematical model that we built to other scopes and then use the same things that we're doing with CNC machines um, and really be able to go vertical in a sense. Um, the reason we started out with slab edges is they tend to be very linear and mostly at a fixed height. And so now that we've been able to figure out how to stitch this mathematical formula together with a CNC machine and see the real world material, we're now saying, okay, we can now add a little bit more complexity instead of just solving along a, you know, a, a relatively flat face. Let's talk about a retaining wall, maybe that's constantly curving and changing in height and start to really be able to tackle a little bit more complicated things, right? But also to be able to go back to that original idea of solving for that complexity providing predictable price and ensuring um, that what is designed is what's constructed. Thanks for sharing your story. Susan, I'm excited to hear from Pepper Construction because you did something incredible when you built the Net Zero trailer. It turned out to be a more comfortable and energy efficient space that also improves job site sustainability. Can you tell us about the Net Zero trailer and exactly what it does? First off, what I think I'm I'm really excited about uh, the group that you have on today is that we all have innovations based on our field staff and how they work and the efficiency of that work. So I think that's like that's super interesting to me, you know, like because we know that our field staff is our like our essential front line and our workers. And when we think of a job site or even a job site trailer, it's it's temporary, right? Like it's it's just this box that just gets used hard and you know it, it's okay that it, it's not great quality um, or it's not the best working environment because it's not going to be around there forever and it just moves on to the next job site like that's our typical perception we want to change the perception that you know the job site is temporary because it's not 
if I'm a field, uh, if I'm on the field staff, my permanent uh, workplace is that job site trailer, regardless of where, right, what location it's in. It's still that same box. Within our industry, there's a huge gap between the quality of like, you know, where you go for your headquarters or like what your office looks like, like your typical office work environment, and then what your job site trailer work um, place environment is. Um, and so we really want to bridge that gap um, and say, okay, we want to recognize that job sites are workplaces too, right? Uh, they're not temporary. People spend their entire careers in them. They don't have to be built the way that we're, you know, we're just kind of used to having them um, be built. And so the net zero trailer actually takes that and says, all right, what does a, what's a job site trailer look like if we apply class A office space strategies to it? That's what the net zero trailer is. And so really looking at um, a better work environment for a field staff. And then on top of that, how are we going to not really impact, uh, have an environmental impact in a negative way from our trailer? So when we look at um, the net zero trailer, there's 15 one five windows that are is allowing like ample daylight, so much fresh air. We have sit stand desks for ergonomics. We have writable walls, plenty of pinup space. We have just like a very light and eerie uh, atmosphere with natural materials surrounding the interior. So just like very, like a very different atmosphere um, for a field office. Uh, we provided a full kitchenette with a full size fridge. So that way you can bring like a whole week's worth of lunch or breakfast or what have you. And you can just store it at the trailer rather than, you know, like your foldable table with your mini fridge stuffed underneath and your microwave on top. Like this is a legit kitchen where it just gives us a nice space to kind of prep food. We have even like a hoteling space. So for someone like me, who's just visiting uh, the job site uh, to go while maybe a meeting's going on, or I'm not interrupting anything, or I have my own little uh, nook to work out of. In addition to that, all of the walls, the floor and the roof are passive house standards. So like the number one complaint that we get on our job sites with like our conventional trailers is thermal comfort too hot in the summer, or it's like freezing in the winter and um, how can we actually make that better? So we took passive house standards um, and really beefed up the walls, the, the roof and the floor um, to make that thermally um, comfortable as well. Imagine just a really nice class A office environment and that is kind of what we're providing on the interiors, uh, the interior of the trailer. So then on top of that, we have 27 solar panels on the roof and that powers the entire um, trailer, which is four hours of sunlight in Chicago's winter, which is not a lot of sun, right? Because if we're like going to say, wanna create a heavy job site environment for people to work in, that all starts with the impact on the outside. We can't say, oh, we're gonna promote health and wellness inside, and then we're pumping carbon emissions on the outside, right? We're, th that's not uh, a great message. So we really wanted this trailer to have zero footprint, um, and that's what we mean by net zero. We don't have to be hooked up to the grid. It's just completely self-sufficient uh, with regards to energy use. Because we designed and we built this ourselves within our own, our warehouse. So like, how do we take that and replicate it so we can make it available um, to everyone? Um, we have been getting a lot of calls of people asking us to build them trailers 
uh, but we are not a trailer manufacturer. <laughs> um, and so we're fine sharing. Uh, we're, we're very open to that. And so we've had so many calls. We just had to actually create a website dedicated to the trailer where people could go and find out all of the information of what went into the trailer, how it was designed, how it was built. You can do like a 360 tour if you haven't, you know, to, you know, just so you can get your eyes on it. So if you just Googled, um, pepper net zero trailer it will pop up and it it will give you like all the information that you could ever want that you could literally just take and go build your own we're just really excited that you know we did a proof of concept um it's on its fifth job site now it's about to ship off to its sixth, so it's working um and you know we just proved that it's been done people love it they love like you know they walk into the trailer and they're like wow like it's just like a stark difference right than what people um field staff are used to it sounds like based on what you shared that uh it's being very saved by your field staff people who are going into the trailer are like amazed by the old version versus the new version and uh you're making this prototype accessible to others because there's been such interest and in, in demand to to replicate what you've done so my question was going to be, you know, how well is it meeting the needs of your team and and what do you see, you know, as far as um, continuing to expand on this? But I think you've pretty much answered those questions. It seems like universally it's been very well received. What are your cost savings by not having to hook up to the grid? I mean, are, is it a big savings there by being able to be net zero and, and power the entire trailer from solar? I don't think people uh, typically know is that just a single wide 12 foot by 60 foot trailer uses as much energy as four residential homes in a year. You've got a really small footprint with a really huge impact. One trailer is like 750 square feet. That's really, it's really using the energy of 8,000 square feet. So we can really make a big uh, change just from like small increments. We kind of looked at what does that look like if we scale it? Because that's a pretty big impact off of, of one trailer. If you look at all of the trailers around the country, it's like 700,000 construction trailers in use today, like over the entire United States. If you just like took your magic wand and you're like, okay, we're just gonna make those all, all net zero trailers, that erases the carbon emissions of the populations of LA, Dallas, Houston, and Chicago combined um, over the lifetime of those trailers, which is huge. Just a year of those trailers being in use, that's 2.8 million homes of like energy that just doesn't you know, have to impact the environment in a negative way. If you just take it from a conventional trailer to a net zero trailer, you're, there's a premium because you're putting solar panels on top where before it didn't exist, right? And it's not even that big of a premium. In addition to that, with how solar is still set up, um, is that there's tons of rebates available. So you can even get free money by putting these PVs on top of yeah. your trailer. So you kind of, you want to take advantage of that, right? Um, and so when we counted it out, it was under five years of a payback. Uh, to pay off for the net zero trailer. Okay, okay. I'd love to include, Susan, some of that information in the show notes. So you had mentioned where to go on your website to get all the details. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes and then any information that you might be able to pass along on some of those rebates. I'd love to include that as well. I wanted to ask all of you, and, and maybe, Susan, we can just go ahead and sort of um, 
start with you with, with my final question. Um, in your opinion, what are ways that you think um, folks like all of you can, can go about driving innovation in the construction industry? Or, or ways that you would offer to others um, who are listening to this uh, that are connected to the construction industry to help drive innovation? Before uh, I got into construction, I was in architecture. Um, and I've been doing construction for over five years now. When I started, it was kind of like a culture shack because architecture is all about collaboration and the brand new thing and how can we reinvent the wheel like 50 times over and make it better and then construction it's like we've been doing this for the last 40 years and it's working <laughs> so we're not going to change anything right like it was just like a very stark difference um but then we we see innovations like the ones that we're bringing to the podcast today and even in processes like lean for innovation to drive it in construction really needs to be multi-generational you need the old guards that have been doing it for years that know what they're doing, that have all of that knowledge, right? Just built in their heads. And then you need the younger generation with all of these new experimental ideas. And then like, how do we get both of those, you know, those sides to come to the table and collaborate? Um, and we're bringing everybody to the table together and then they all own it. And they, they take that pride and that ownership with it. And I think we're just not, you know, forcing everybody to change behavior to meet the new technology <laughs> where looking at different processes um, and how we can kind of work together. Eric, what are your thoughts on that? Innovation within construction. And I think all of the innovations that we've heard about today really focus on this. It's, it's very people centric, right? There's still a lot of humans that are on these job sites bringing construction about. And, and because of that, I think that one of the biggest challenges is creating the innovative culture, this idea that you can try something new. And if it fails, it's not the end of the world, right? Failure isn't fatal unless you give up. And I think the three organizations here today are, are very clear that, hey, we try new things. There's a whiteboard over there. Could we replace that whiteboard? Hey, I've got a trailer outside and I'm watching the smoke come off of the generator. Like, how do we do that better, right? And I think it's just looking around us and seeing all of the activities that are happening, all of the hundreds of people that are involved on these job sites and just saying, how do we do this better, right? And sometimes that's a small two-second lean idea, right? This idea that you're kind of continuously improving things. But I think that culture is super important. Um, Sent, Sent recently had a, a, a question that was put out at a quarterly meeting, and it was, has anyone ever told you no to an innovative idea within our organization? Right. And, and the answer that came back was 90 percent people said, no, I've never been told don't do something innovative, which I think is a bold statement. Right. But then the, the question immediately before that was asking about, um, you know, who who encourages you to be innovative? And they were strikingly different things. And so I think there's this weird moment in our industry where every all these organizations are like, we need to innovate to stay alive. And the people are like, no, no, no. Like I work with the superintendent who tells me don't do anything different. They've been placing concrete for 30 years. Right. And that tension as it as it resolves itself, I think you're going to see, um, you know, a lot more increase in, in research and development dollars. You're going to see this idea that every project is unique and we're going to try something new every time. But I think it's a huge part of a, a cultural equation rather than just a specific tool or even technology itself. Yes, absolutely. Anne, give you the final word on that. 
I think the best way to encourage innovation in our industry comes from the top down. If the leadership, depending on the size of the company, the owner, the CEO, whatever, if the very the person at the very top doesn't encourage uh, innovation, doesn't celebrate it, and then this is the toughest part, uh, doesn't take the risk um, associated with funding it, and uh, we have to put our money where our mouths are, the industry will um, have challenges across the board. My company will benefit from Susan's uh, innovation and Eric's. I'm sure of that. And I know that theirs will as well from ours. Uh, I think that's one of the blessings of the AGC. The AGC has been around more than 100 years, is to bring companies, which can of often be competitors, together uh, to solve problems. Then, you know, we leave our meetings and we go back out and compete with one another. But if we're making the industry as a whole better, if we are encouraging innovation and being creative um, industry-wide, it will only keep our people safer, it will provide us with a more satisfied customer, and it will make our jobs all um, the great places to work that we know we want to make them. That's my kind of rambly mushy lovey celebration of innovation in our industry because it's as these generations shift innovation is finally being celebrated in construction and i could, could not be happier well it has been such a pleasure talking to three of you and eric and susan you guys are so inspiring i really have enjoyed every minute of it i've learned a lot and have been amazed by what you've shared in wrapping up today's episode i i wanted to invite my agc colleague sarah galegos who is the director of agc's building division to tell you a bit more about agc's construction innovation award. Sarah, can you share with everybody kind of a little bit about the award and what's coming up in 2021? Uh, to give you a little bit of background, the Innovation Award was created in 2018 to incentivize and encourage free thinkers to provide pioneering solutions to the industry's challenges. The award specifically, we do not... Uh, we do not narrow the award down to specific categories. We specifically kept it wide and broad sweeping so that everyone in the industry has the opportunity to showcase an innovation. And we really just have this award to celebrate those innovations that people are working to make and improve the construction industry. So the platform for the 2021 Innovation Award is currently live. We just went live last week and the platform is open until October 21st and is open to all AGC members. The award is awarded at our AGC annual convention. So this year's award will be awarded March 29th uh, during our opening ceremony. So it's showcased right at the top of our convention and shared with the entire audience there. So if you want to learn more, you can learn more by going to www.agc.org backslash awards. Uh, the Innovation Award is the top of that list. So you can click right there and learn more. Great. Thanks so much, Sarah. And I'm excited to see what kind of submissions we get this year and um, who's, uh, who's going to turn out to be the 2021 winners. <laughs> yes. Um, what about, um, Anne mentioned a little bit about the Project Innovation and Delivery Forum. Is there anything else that you wanted to share about that in case folks want to get a little bit more involved in that group with AGC? Yeah, sure. So the Project Innovation and Delivery Forum, um, it used to be just the Project uh, Delivery Forum, and we've kind of pivoted and shifted the purpose and mission of that forum to again, kind of celebrate innovations, uh, you know, 
construction has had such a reputation of being stagnant and not innovative and kind of getting left behind. So the forum, uh, like I said, kind of repurposed and reformed, and the mission is to align the execution of construction projects with the latest innovations in safety, quality, and productivity, and to educate the industry on best practices in order to deliver quality projects on time and budget. So what we're really doing here and what the steering committee is focusing on is pretty much being like an an R&D for smaller, medium-sized contractors that don't have the funds to do a lot of research and development within their own firms. So we are taking you know, some of the best across the industry and highlighting various innovations that they're doing um, so that we can kind of create an R&D and create a library of innovations that people can access and start to start to apply to their own firms. So we're doing that through podcasts like this, uh, through web ads. Uh, we're working currently on a podcast for a release later this year on 3D printing. Things that might sound overwhelming when you first hear them, but in reality, once you break it down, are easy to apply to your own firm. So be on the lookout for that. Um, again, if you are interested in joining either the steering committee or the forum, um, the forum is very light lift, but the steering committee does kind of guide the initiatives of that forum. Visit uh, www.agc.org backslash project delivery. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah, for that information. And we'll Thank repeat you. those uh, websites in the show notes. It'll just be a click to get to those pages. Thank you all again for the information that you shared today. And thank you all on the other end of this for listening. This has been the AGC Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app or stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org slash constructorcast.